Can we do names, Kim? There's a sure. Oh, I don't recognize. Oh, okay. And I'm Kim, and I live in in Austin. Emily. Hi, I'm Emily, and I live in San Antonio. Ah, okay. I'm Laurie, and I live here in Austin. And Jess. You're you're muted. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes. Good. I've been using Zoom forever, and I still forget. Um, my name is Jess. I'm here in Austin. I'm Cody. I'm here in Copper's Cove. I'm Nelda, and I'm here in Austin. Nandia. Uh, I'm Nandia, and uh, I'm in a state of transition. <laughs> Is that the 51st state? It's a state of mind, man. <laughs> okay. And I'm curious about what this means, through forests of every color, but we'll, I guess we'll find out. So let's read in this order alphabetically. I'm going to change my name so I'm not Apamata. <laughs> so alphabetically, it's uh, Cody, Emily, Jess, Kim, Lori, Nandia, and Nelda. Okay? Got it. It's always been our tr tr tradition to read the preface and the introduction. So let's start here. Cody. Oh, and we pause at the end of every paragraph. So if you have any questions, comments, then you can ask. Okay, Cody. All right, preface. For a long time, I've thought of the Cohen tradition as a giant dragon curled at the bottom of the ocean. I first had intimations of this Cohen dragon as a teenager, standing for hours in the aisles of a bookstore just outside of UCLA, reading books on Taoism and Buddhism. The meeting inspired me to walk up the block I studied classical Chinese and Japanese so that I could read the literature of these traditions in their original languages. My first gratitude is for my professors here, I mean there, especially a Chicago sensei who gave me koans to translate in, in a graduate seminar of one and who I came to understand was teaching me not just the vocabulary and grammar of the koans, with their heart and mind. Every once in a while, something happens in that koan dragon's dream, and she stirs, lifting a shoulder or flicking her tail, murmuring to herself. The dragon apparently shrugged a shoulder in the direction of Northern California toward the end of the 20th century, rumbling the ground, ground under a group of people who would become the Pacific Zen Institute. We gathered around the innovative uh, am, I, am I on the wrong page? No, I think you're right. We gathered okay. around the um, innovative teaching of koan genius John Tarrant. Working with him immeasurably deepened my relationship with koans, as it has done for so many others. And on most days, I've been grateful that he was foolhardy enough to invite me to become a teacher. Those of us listening 
for dragon murmurs do our best to interpret and the tradition evolves. Sometimes the transmission is clear and sometimes we make mistakes or try experiences that don't endure. In any case, I've never been worried about the Koan dragon's ability to survive even our best efforts. My cohort of listeners include included David Weinstein, traveling companion in the tent revival meeting days and still a teacher at PZI. And the late Rich Domingue, who gave us the music as only he could. Then of course, there are all the comrades and students of those early years some of whom went on to become teachers whose experiences and insights were crucial to the developments of this koan way. I le- in 2003, I left PZI to found the open source. And the two organizations became a new koan school, the Pacific Zen School. The deep work of giving this koan way hands and eyes, shape and rhythm began then. A group of communities that would eventually include Awakened Life in New Mexico, Spring Mountain Sangha, and Wet Mountain Sangha in Colorado, Desert Rain Zen in Arizona, and Crimson Gate Meditation Community in California became (coughs) the open source network. It was an honor to share the koans with these folks in Mountain Light, Desert Light, and Candlelight. The teacher's collegum of Sarah Bender, Tenny Nathanson, Andrew Palmer, and Megan Rundle guides these communities. Teaching is, among other things, hard work, and I'm humbled by their graceful dedication to it, each one the holder of a unique gift. For eight years, I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico, teaching with Awakened Life, the community that gathered there around this koan way. I started with arms full of dreams and hunches, both for koans and for community, which the Awakened Life folks brought to life in ways beyond what I could have imagined. And then they dreamed it further. The community motto is, enlightenment as a conspiracy of friends and what a wish fulfilling jewel that is is it me is it nandia reading now yeah Uh, because of my health i retired in 2015 and returned to california and the pacific coast perhaps to get a bit closer to that dragon I no longer work directly with students. So descriptions of events in this book refer to the years when I was actively teaching. I'm happy to say that all the open source communities are still going strong. Hundreds of us have been dreaming koans together during these past decades. The wisdom, experiences, questions, requests, and innovations of all these people have been essential in shaping the ways of keeping company with koans described in this book. I like the expression dreaming koans as opposed to figuring them out. And someone was asking the other day, how do you sit with something? You know, sometimes a Zen student would be told, sit with it, like with a koan. And it's not like it's foremost in your mind, but it's kind of like, it's on the cushion. How would you describe it, Lori? Sitting with something. Sitting or, with something? Or dreaming. I think of sitting with something is it's just kind of back, it's with you, kind of back in your mind. It's there, but it's, you're not trying to figure it out. It feels like you're accompanying it. That's a nice way of putting it, like taking a walk. Yeah. And you're looking at everything but the koan, maybe. Once I figured out a koan completely driving home, 
And, you know, it was after koan practice and I didn't know what to do. Like, should I call everyone up and tell them what it meant? By the time I got home, it completely was wrong and vanished. <laughs> so sometimes that comes and goes. Who, who's reading now? Nelda? Sorry, me. Uh, where oh, where are we again? Okay, yes. Nelda read it. Okay. Are we at hundreds or? Uh, through, through forests. Oh, through, oh. <clears throat> through forests of every color has its origin in a privately printed practice text from 2013 called Asaquias and Gates, which included our miscellaneous koans collection, more on that in the introduction, and the writing about koan study. That writing has been revised and expanded for this book which is about twice as long as the original. Piper Lee designed a sequoias and gates around the late Seal, Seal Bergman's paintings. Their visions perfume the text in a way that endures. Oh, um, Eddie's song executive director of Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works, was a generous first reader of the manuscript. Sarah Bender responded to the writing as part of our unending Dharma conversation. I'm grateful to Nico Odiseos of Shambhala Publications for taking this book on and to Matt Zeppelin for being such a responsive and insightful editor. He made the book better. I bow to Samantha Ripley's care for each word in the manuscript. Kate Cesaretti and James Cioroni are who friendship is, and it is literally true that I could not have done most of what I've done since my retirement, including this book, without them. And when it's a short paragraph, you could read two. Okay. Uh, the translations are mine, unless otherwise attributed. They benefited from the work of generations of translators and scholars to whom we all owe a great debt. The mistakes are my own, and I hope that at least they're interesting. <laughs> this book is made of assays, a word related to essay but emphasizing their provisional nature, their attempts towards something rather than declarations of arrival. Brief and open-minded like the koans, they leave room for a reader's responses. The essays are interleaved with koans and my commentaries on them to come a bit closer to the thing itself. Ko koans work by juxtaposition. If you ask about compassion, the koans will give you no bullet list, but offer stories that show instances of compassion to set next to each other until a picture begins to emerge. These assays and commentaries are like that, each one a shard of the whole with a cumulative effect. The second section of this book is about different ways of looking at koans, which speak to my understanding of the tradition as a whole, koans as spiritual practice, and koans as art, before dividing into the particulars of koan study. The third section, Keeping Company with a Koan, deals with the nitty-gritty of koan practice, offering suggestions on engaging with koans in meditation, moving around life and sleep. The fourth section, Koan Life, addresses what we're likely to encounter and how we might be changed through a life lived with koans. It also includes some reflections on what has been missing in the tradition and what's changing to meet our time. I've been keeping company with koans for about half a century now. As a student, scholar, practitioner, teacher, translator, writer, and person living a life in North America. I've engaged with koans in academia, in traditional lineage with Japanese origins, 
in a new and innovative Western school in meditation, in the literature of several languages, in daily life and in dreams. I've had the extraordinary privilege of working closely with hundreds of students in their own koan study. The ancestors, they of the blessings and the demands, remain vivid presences, even when you try to retire. Um, Trouty's not had a chance to read any of the preface. Trouty, would you like to do the last paragraph? Sure. Or, Thank or you. I, I don't know if we're on the preface or the intro. I forgot. This is preface. All right. Well, thank you. Well, hello. Uh, hello. 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 Yes. <laughs> I joined late. I had to feed the cat. I came back late because uh, I'm in a neighborhood that's a new neighborhood to me. And people gathered together and they, they had on the corners of their streets, they had stations with water. And everybody was dressed up and I, I could not drive through. I could not <laughs> Sorry. I have explored koans with the big wandering of a student challenged by the need to articulate for others what was glimmering at the very edge of my own understanding. And in the hermitage of retirement, where there is more wonder and dream the cons and I have loved and struggled with each other, and I have been completely changed by them. We are inside each other now. I hope this warm familiarity, this ease still suffused, is off, will allow readers, regardless of their own familiarity with koans, to meet the intelligence, large-heartedness, and beauty of this tradition with their own intelligence, large-heartedness, and beauty to the benefit of all. First things. Okay, Cody. Part one, first things. <clears throat> Introduction. For whom do you bathe? and make yourself beautiful. The voice of the cuckoo is calling you home. Hundreds of flowers fall, but her cry never ends. Still clear even in the wildest mountains. Attributed to Dongshan. The epigraph above called honoring is from a longer Chinese poem made of koans about the journey home and then home itself. Honoring seems like a good place to begin. You enter koans through the door of your own life, opening into the world around you. First honored is your yearning, the preparation made on faith that there is something that will receive you if you make yourself ready. Bathed, attended to, washed free of complications, and then aspiring to the deepest kind of beauty Receptive, brave, dedicated, open-hearted. Already you've begun to look like thing, the thing you're looking for. Then, and here's perhaps the most important part, you don't have to make this journey happen. You just have to learn to listen because home is already calling you. Flowers fall, which is a way the ancients had of saying that time passes and the call is always present. Even in the wildernesses of your life, the most confused and lost times, the call is clear if you listen for it. In Chinese legend, the cuckoo will call until her throat bleeds and turns the azaleas red. The way to honor the mystery of the world's perseverance on our behalf is by hearing it and responding. When you see the dotted line, that indicates a lot of people have underlined that section. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. And 
image that captures the way koans shape this journey comes from a world away from the ancient Roman festival of Vestalia. For this festival, the women of Rome honored Vesta. The flame in the hearth at the center of the cosmos by gathering at her temple. They walked barefoot through the streets, making contact with the ancient contours of the land, marsh and field and woods under the paving stones. Living life with the koans is going barefoot as they did, aware of the smooth and rough patches of the road, the earth's deeper interconnected rhythms, and uh, the Rio Abajo Rio, the river under the river, falling without end beneath and through it all. Koans connect us with this larger life we sometimes lose sight of, admit the concerns of our ordinary day. They make us permeable to the joys and, and the anguish of this life, permeable to the ways we are made of and contribute to the collective dream of the world, permeable to the primordial mystery we glimpse behind the veil <coughs> of every day. But the purpose of realizing this mystery, as a Chinese teacher, Deshan, said, is to break through to grasp an ordinary person's life, to come full circle so that we might wholeheartedly ask, how can I help? <clears throat> this turn into life rather than away from it characterized the Chinese reception of the Buddhist teachings, teachings transmitted along the Silk Road from India, a process that began about 2000 years ago and continued for centuries. We're just beginning to appreciate the importance of the time the Dharma spent on that multicultural polyglot highway of trade and artistic exchange. It seems to have prepared the way for a fruitful meeting in China of Indian philosophy with Taoism and other indigenous traditions. The Indian ascetic seeking the extinction of Nirvana in dialogue with the Taoist sage, hoping to harmonize with the currents of the universe. Japanese scholar Yanagida Seisan characterizes this new expression of the Dharma as a religion of humanity born in the vast expanse of the Chinese land. Some have wondered whether Chan, one of the new Chinese schools, is actually Buddhist, which shows how radical a reorientation it has been. Ooh. New understandings gave rise to new practices, including koan study, which emerged in Chan about a thousand years ago. The scholar, Yinhua, yeah, sorry, whoever you are, describes Chan's shift in <laughs> emphasis as one from pacifying, cultivating, and contemplating the mind to letting the mind be free. This expresses the break not only from Indian precedents, but even from other schools of Chinese Buddhism. And I would go so far as to say a divergence within Chan itself between koan introspection and silent illumination schools, which came to be known as the Rinzai and Soto schools in Japan. I, uh, let's look at this footnote. Oh, so that's three, that's just a reference. Okay. And then we can go back here. Oops. Trouty, would you like to go first and then I'll start going after you? Um, well, if that's your preference, I, I mean, if we are going in alphabetical order, then I should be going after you, unless I go by my full first ah. name. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. So I'll go and then you go. Yes? Yes, please. Yes. All, right. all right. Thank you. Perhaps paradoxically, letting the mind or heart mind, a more accurate 
translation of the Chinese, be free takes commitment and courage. In broad terms, it means dismantling anything and everything that interposes itself between you and intimacy with the rest of the world in the belief that a truly free heart-mind will be a responsive and generous one. Call introspection, as this new practice came to be called, was transmitted through East and Southeast Asia, particularly Korea, Japan, and Vietnam. And from there, it has spread to many parts of the world. It's been in North America for less than a hundred years. This is a living tradition evolving through eras, landscapes, and cultures. The koans have always pulled for the particular genius of each new group of people who take them up. In the beginning, Chan teachers and students were having conversations during which one or more of the participants would have an opening. <clears throat> then they discovered that if other people who could, quite, who could be quite distant in time and space, brought the story of that conversation into their meditation. They could experience the same thing the participants in the original conversation had, not a lesson or even an, under, even an understanding about awakening, but awakening itself. Records of these conversations were the first koans. Pretty soon teachers were trying out bits of poems and songs, quotes from scriptures, common sayings, and folk tales, borrowing both classical literature and popular culture. And the same thing continued to happen. How it happens is the dark mysterious of the Koan tradition. Since then, every culture that has welcomed the koans has added its own, in its own distinctive style. Koans have been collected in books, commented upon, and translated into many languages. They have been taken up in individual koan study and in group conversations, and they have given rise to new forms of meditation, even a new sense of what it means to meditate. They've inspired art and fierce debates. Over the centuries, the tradition has undergone cycles of innovation, consolidation, institutionalization, and revitalization. Apart from the brief, enlivening encounter between the beats and the koans, we in the West receive the tradition largely under, in the literal sense, conservative conditions, meaning with the intention of closely reproducing the received tradition including many of the customs, styles, and modes of expression of the cultures from which the koans were transmitted. This has led to some misconceptions about the nature of the koans themselves. In one of the early koans, an attendant brings robes for his teacher to put on. He asks, what is that underneath your robe? And the teacher applies intimate. Tucked under the outer form next to the heart. The koans acquire the robes and adornments of each culture they enter, including our own. It is a delicate but vital inquiry to keep asking what's underneath those layers of robes so that we can touch the koans themselves and tuck them into our own intimacy. Here's one story. <laughs> Here's one story of how that happens. Why are you laughing? Because when I think about what's underneath uh, your robes, I don't think about the cultural context <laughs> that these koans are in that is wrapped around like you know my sense of everything um i think of uh i think and then he said intimacy <laughs> so i 
I think about uh, private parts. You know? so <laughs> that's why I think I, that's why I, um, it's just a funny, funny, just funny, I guess, for me. Yeah, I, I guess an intimacy has different meanings, doesn't it? Right. You know, getting to the bottom of the heart mind, maybe, or right, who right. we are, who we were before we were born, and all that stuff. Yeah, there's like a literal and a figurative. The poet Robert Creeley was once asked during a class he was teaching, is that a real poem or did you just make it up yourself? <laughs> In the preface, I described the origins of the, of the Pacific Zen school as befits a koan school. So I used to, uh, you know, you were supposed to have like, like quotations in things you wrote. So I used to make them up and give fake names to the, the reference. <laughs> So that's partly why I'm laughing. So they weren't real quotes. <laughs> and then we were supposed to do a, uh, you know, a paper about an artist. And Wait. so I made it, I made up the name and then, and then um, did it about myself. But the te my teacher saw, saw right through it and said, this is a good self-analysis or something. In the preference, I described the origin of the Pacific Zen school. As befits a koan school, we began an inquiry. We had inher inherited a beautiful tradition of Japanese origin, yet we found ourselves asking some questions so fundamental it was a surprise we couldn't articulate answers that satisfied us. How actually do koans work? What are they for? If practitioners are having experiences both profound and outside the received tradition, do the practitioners have to adapt or does a tradition? How deep really is our understanding of the ancestors? And underneath everything else, <coughs> what do the koans themselves want? Yeah. That's a nice question. Oops, I, maybe I went to, yeah. It was a thrilling time as we explored those questions and something new began to emerge something that seemed to have its own momentum and fate. Stephen Karcher, a scholar of the Yijing, told me that it reminded him of how the hexagrams decided they wanted to see other climates and cultures. So they hitched a ride on Richard Wilhelm's back out of China and into the West. I quite like the idea of being the koan's donkey. So I think it's Nandia. You might be muted, Nandia. Sorry. Um... I forgot to unmute. Um, as a conscientious donkey, I continued to steep myself in the teachings of the ancestors, particularly in the Chinese tradition that predated the Japanese forms of koan study I had trained in. Because I can read classical Chinese, it was possible to meet those teachings unmediated by translation and interpretation, which turned out to make a big difference. This closer study of the ancients was a continuous lesson in humility, time and again. I'd think we'd discovered something new, only to find that they'd figured out the same thing hundreds of years ago. <laughs> Before I read, I just want to say again how beautifully she writes. Oh my goodness. Just lovely. It's a poem. We listened backwards to the ancestors and forward to our students. We listened to the time. Most of all, we listened to the koans themselves. 
When you live a while with them, a real relationship develops, no longer only about what use they have to you as a spiritual practice, but how you might collaborate with them. Of course, there was uncertainty. Should we, could we force the koans back into a box they seem to be trying to jump free of? Or should we let it happen and try to keep up? That was a debate that did not take long to resolve. My touchstone was something our ancestor Nakagawa Soen wrote to Senzaki Nyogen in 1938, after Senzaki had moved to California. Soen Roshi was commenting on the translation into English of the famous koan in which Zhao Zhu is asked whether a dog has Buddha nature, and he replies, no. Zen, which is fundamentally about the liberation of all beings, is unfortunately sealed in a square box labeled Zen. Enclosed like this, the ancient dog in the corn, Zhao Zhu's no, has been suffocating. In English, this dog is so joyfully alive. I don't know, that's not probably a new paragraph. Shall I continue? Yeah, no, I'm trying to figure this out. Okay. What, what is the footnote, Kim? I, I'm so yeah. curious about sure, that. Sure, sure. Just a ask if I forget to. So that's four. So that, yeah, yeah that's like, just yes. the reference. Thank you. Page 76. <laughs> You're, it's still the same paragraph, Trouty. Okay, happy to let the dog bark and run free and myself took a vow of silence because there was so much to learn and because the greater danger seemed to be to solidify things too quickly, to create just another competing dogma about the cons. Eventually the time came to say a word or two about this new way of keeping company with them. The nucleus of this book is writing I did some years ago for students working with a particular collection called the miscellaneous koans. Each koan school has its own unique miscellaneous, which is studied along with the classic texts like the Gateless Gateway or the Blue Cliff, Cliff Record. Flint did some koan study, and he was telling me about, about these koans that he did that aren't in any records. And one of them he talked about was, you know, what, did, what do you do if you're lit on fire and you're burning up? And, you know, finally he figured out you scream. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was just reading about Thich Nhat Hanh, and someone had studied it with him, and I guess he had a pretty terrible temper which I had never heard before. So I just read that like an hour ago, but it's kind of uh, nice to hear that he wasn't perfect or maybe he was perfect. No, Wabi Sabi. <laughs> right. Wabi Sabi. <laughs> okay. Wabi Sabi. Who's reading now? Oh, me. Despite the unassuming name, miscellaneous, compilations represent the living edge of a school the part of the koan curriculum that is chosen more than inherited we saw the miscellaneous as a way to bring in koans important to us that don't appear in the classical collections to fill in the gaps in our inheritance like the insights of women and the concerns of secular lives and to begin to include koans from Western sources. In the individual koan study, the miscellaneous koans are usually taken up early between the first opening koans and the classic collections. It's a deep time still stained by wonder and as yet largely unstained by expertise. When we begin meetings in groups called koan salons to explore koans together, 
The miscellaneous was also a good way to enter for people with varying relationships to the tradition, from none at all to passing through the entire curriculum. Our house style has attracted artists, activists, and people in the healing professions who have helped widen in the most moving ways one of our foundational questions. What are koans for? Uh, as a result, many of the koans that appear in through forests of every color are from our miscellaneous. Others are from the major collections and some from the cloud of story and commentary that surround the koans. If you find yourself growing impatient to get to actual <laughs> koans, uh, here are a few that are interesting at the beginning of a journey. Okay, is everybody ready? All right. I would go slow. All right, I'm going to go slow, guys. Uh, this is the stone drenched with rain that points the way. With empty hands, I pick up the hoe. Each being's eternal radiance appears before you. Each being is an 8,000 foot precipice. Mm. Someone asked Yunven, what is reaching the light? Mm. Young men replied, forget the light. First, <laughs> give me the reaching. I've been outside the halls of mainstream Western Zen for a long time. Excuse me. For a long time, focusing on this labor of love unexpected and inevitable that came to fetch me. People who've practiced in other koan traditions are likely to find that this is a different approach than they're accustomed to. In my decades of living with koans, I've come to know their beauty, complexity, and subtlety, and that they lead us to something true. I've come to see that the koan tradition isn't static, but su subtle, supple and curious and not yet complete also not yet complete zen is the unfinished koan as the japanese teacher heikwen ekadiku said i've come to trust that we like previous generations have something refreshing and enlarging to bring to the tradition our ideals of egalitarianism and inclusion and the voices that are heard when we embody those ideals, our landscapes and poetries, the ways we <coughs> dream, the particular shapes our courage and kindness take, the ways we are fierce and the ways we are tender. A note on language, terminology, and a little philosophy. A student asked Ancestor Ma, quote, leaving aside the four propositions and letting go of the hundred negations, please directly point to why Bodhidharma came from the West. <laughs> and the quote. Ma said, today I'm worn out and can't explain it to you. Go find Zizang and ask him. 
Do we all identify with that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oan and Gongan. Gongan is the original Chinese word that is pronounced koan in Japanese. I try to use Chinese words for Chinese things, but koan has become a loan word in English, so it's an exception. Gongan means public case and originally referred to decisions rendered in law. It implies an understanding that is held in the collective and reliable as precedent. In other words, it's shared by a group rather than being private and there are ancestors behind it. Shibayama Zenkei, a 20th century Rinzai teacher said, the etymology, etymologically, koan means the place where the truth is. The word gongan also came to refer to the table upon which the legal document is laid. And this calls to mind the koan field, an extended sense of what a koan is. Beyond words on a page, the koan field includes the experiences of everyone who takes up the koan, some of which become well-known commentaries, while others are only known in the heart of one person. This field has shimmer and weight. Niti Suzuki, Shibayama's commentary beautifully said that what <clears throat> he called uh, the Zen document is the one each one of us brings along to this world at birth and tries to decipher before passing away. There is no secrecy to this, as it is all open or public to us, to every one of us. If there is any hidden meaning in it at all, it is our side and not in the document. The koan is within ourselves. I think it, it is on our side, right? And not in the document. I'm sorry. <clears throat> That's really nice. I like that, that, um, you know, our lives are the koan. Yeah, she, she keeps repeating it and presenting it in very different ways that this very interesting. So was there anything, Trouty, uh, like uh, koans in India? Or did they all arise in, in China? Um, yes, but they haven't been, as far as I know, they haven't been used uh, like this, that it is one's life or something like that. It would be sometimes in a debate, um, but there would be an answer that might be puzzling and uh, maybe will eventually deliver to the listener uh, some opening. Like sometimes uh, Buddha talking to some of the kings when they ask questions. but not in, in the way as uh, the Chinese and the Japanese did, as far as I know. So <clears throat> maybe I have to look into it. <laughs> Another article for you to write. Oh, yes. I would have to learn Chinese. What's one more language? <laughs> right. Well, if you don't use them, then they go away. They fall asleep. I, I, I can... Uh, admire my calligraphy of Tibetan, but I can't read a, one single word anymore. Oh. Okay, who's reading now? Cody? I don't know. I, I read <coughs> last, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope to. Yeah. And what is a word or phrase that has a for a long time considered 
the part to focus on and koan point. And a koan can have more than one. And Hawatau is a gateway to what's being called the true fact of the koan, which is where you and the koan meet in your awakening. A hua means a spoken word, a word with meaning. A twa means head or beginning. And it refers to what is before the words and phrases of the koan, their silent and spacious source. Once a thought has arisen and been put into words, it is known as the hey, the word tale. In well-known koan, in, a, in the well-known koan about the ox disappearing through a window, the little tail remains visible in the room as the hawaii, which can lead to, to that source before words or oxen out there beyond the window. In a nod to that image, Hawatu becomes window on the source in this book. It will be written Hawatu from now on. Chan and Zen. Chan means meditation. It's the Chinese transliteration of the Sanskrit dhyana and is pronounced Zen in Japanese, San in Korean, and Tian in, Jap in Vietnamese. Applying these words in a Western context can be tricky. Zen is popularly is uh, popularly used as an umbrella term for all these traditions, which obscures their distinctive characteristics. Chan is one of the schools of Chinese Buddhism, the one that, not surprisingly, emphasizes meditation and out of which the koans emerged. Chan emigrated to Japan, where it became the distinctive tradition of Zen. Both the Chan and Zen traditions divided into two schools with different relationships to the koans. The Linji Rinzai school is based in koan meditation, while the Kaodong Soto school came to use koans as teaching stories. Okay. In this book, Chan refers to the original Chinese meditation tradition that includes koans, Zen to the Japanese tradition that developed from it, and Western Zen for the schools developing here from Japanese Zen. I claim appreciative acquaintanceship with, but no expertise in the contemporary Western schools with Korean and Vietnamese origins. When I speak of the Quan tradition, I'm referring to the fabric that is woven from the Chickler Quan threads in all of these schools. Although I trained in Western schools of Zen with both Rinzai and Soto antecedents, Zen in that sense no longer describes my teaching. On the other hand, <laughs> although ancient Chan is my deep ancestor, I can't call what I'm now teaching Chan, given that I'm not part of a contemporary Chan school. Sometimes new things have to name themselves, and I look forward to seeing what this one comes up with. Translations have to name themselves. I, I love the um, the sense of emergence of a of a thing instead of us sort of finagling it into being. But what what are you referring to exactly? The, um, the phrase, things have to name themselves, you just read. And she does this, Nandia, uh, 
often it's so far about things naming themselves, things presenting themselves to us, things um, uh, evolving within us rather than our sort of being this egocentric control mechanism. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah it's such a, such a beautiful and wise um, allowing and uh, resting in the the universe within and around us, you know? It is. And now we have translations. Translations, heart, mind. The Chinese and Japanese word Shin, Shin or Shin, is translated as both mind and heart. So no mind and heart sutra, both refer to the same Sino-Japanese word. Shin actually means something like heart mind, seen as one system. So I use heart mind in all cases. The vastness. Emptiness is the most common translation of the Sanskrit word shunyata, but it skews the meaning in English a bit. Things are empty in a specific way, empty of self-nature, of an individual existence separate from everything else. To say it the other way round, each thing depends on everything else, all of it making a wondrous whole. Chinese schools of Buddhism emphasize this latter formulation, which isn't quite captured by emptiness. The Chinese teacher Deshan, for example, describes emptiness as clearly visible, radiant, and alive. Cosmologically, sanyata is far from a void as it is the ground of being for everything in the universe. Sanya means both empty in the philosophical sense just mentioned, and also swollen or pregnant. The physics term plenum might be more descriptive than emptiness, but it isn't in wide use. So I use vastness, which isn't perfect, but at least leans toward one of Sanyata's characteristics, boundlessness, and away from what emptiness usually implies to a reader in English. Empty or emptiness can then refer specifically to being without self-nature. Because emptiness is often contrasted to form, an emptiness perspective can also refer to a lopsided view, emphasizing the unreal or absolute nature of something over its material reality and particularity. I try to make it clear when I'm using it that way. Well, I need to make a comment. Mm -hmm. uh, some, of, some of you already heard me talking about it. Um, so uh, the word shunya and shunyata, shunya means zero. And the ancient uh, Indians were very good mathematics. And I do not know who borrowed from, from whom, but since Nagarjuna, I think the term shunyata in philosophy or um, religious practice means that there is an absence of a self. And therefore there is nothing of essence, nothing concrete nothing to capture or hold on to. And it's really um, the, the basis of rejecting the Brahmanical idea of Atman that eventually um, actually should get liberated uh, from the cycle of lives uh, when uh, there is an opening, there is an awake awakening and uh, identifying then with the cosmic principle Brahman. Thank you. Well, uh, I mean, 
if we just take the, the translation of the word by itself and take it out of the original context, we can apply a, a greater variety of things, but does it really fit? Mm -hmm. We're so lucky to have you, Trudy. Pardon me? It's so nice to have someone like you in the group. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was worried that I'm going to disturb our nice, kind peace. <laughs> 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 I always have something to say that might be against uh, some ears. Mm. But it expands us, Trouty. What you say expands us. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Work in the room. Work in the room is a translation of an old Chinese term for meetings between individual students and teachers. These meetings are called Sanzen, going to Zen, or Dokusan, going alone to the teacher in Japanese and Japanese-influenced Western schools. But work in the room is different from both of them and so has its own name. See work in the room, this page. Oh, that's another chapter. Oh, I see. Yeah. But it's a different chapter, so. Yes, yes. Well, but, I, yeah, we oops. probably don't want to jump around. I, no, I but, but now I don't know how to get back. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, you're back. Now go forward. Now go forward. Yeah. <laughs> you got there. Page 17. Oh. Oops, you went too far. No. No. Back. Back. 18. There, this page. Yeah. Okay, languages. There you go. Who's reading? Cody. So me. Languages. I use pinyin, the system of Romanized Chinese characters developed in the People's Republic of China, rather than older systems still in use in other parts of the world. All romanization systems have eccentric shortcomings in indicating how Chinese words should be pronounced by English speakers. But opinions seem to come a little closer. When I was in graduate school, there was a maybe a apocryphal story that opinion is so odd in some ways because only the Albanians would help the new communist country this romanization system. So we're all essentially working with Sino-Albanian. -Al I kind of hope that's a true story. Wow. <laughs> um, although many Westerners were introduced to Chinese koans with Japan as the intermediary, China and Japan are two different cultures. And I believe it is both respectful and more accurate to use Chinese names for Chinese people, places, and concepts rather than their Japanese counterparts. I try to find English equivalents for as much Sanskrit, Chinese, and Japanese terminology as possible, retaining the originals when they've become loan words like nirvana or can't be succinctly translated into English like Tadak, oh gosh, Tadak. Tadagata. So it's Tata and Agata. He has, who has gone this way? He who has gone this way. The way. He has gone this way. Tatagata. Uh, is this this in this, this way? Yeah, I mean it's not a way, way separate way <laughs> in, in this, this direction. Way. Not the way, this way. 
Um, okay. I hope to keep the jargon to a low roar. In a few instances, new words seem called for as with interpermeation. Oh, okay. The usual Buddhist word is interconnection. Interpermeation is meant to more fully suggest the ways we become part of one another uh, are continuous with one another. A friend once told me about how when he was growing up, his parents would switch from English to Yiddish whenever their conversation seemed to be getting interesting. He grew up believing that English was the language of children and the mundane, while Yiddish was the language of adults and the mysterious. <laughs> to the extent it's possible to avoid that split between English and the other languages of the koans, I'd like to try. Koans in English translation. The miscellaneous koans collection of the Pacific Zen School which includes extensive notes, is available online as a PDF in the format in which it was originally published in Asakias and Gates. The collection is available at Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works, HTTPS, or forward slash forward slash Joan Sutherland Dharma Works.org. John Tarrant and I have translated the koans in the collections that are part of our curriculum including the Gateless Gateway, the Blue Cliff Record, the Book of Serenity, and the Five Physicians. These translations are also available online at Cloud Dragon. Hmm. Well, I suggest we stop here for tonight. What do you guys okay. think? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. And we can start fresh. We can start fresh with the sound of one hand. Yeah, some, something to look forward to. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Trick or treat. Uh, <laughs> thank you again for making this possible, Kim. Monitoring. Thank everyone, you. Everyone, everyone is making it possible. Well, even even you. even Ollie, wherever Ollie went there. <laughs> Lying in bed. <laughs> I think the sound of one hand got Ollie. <laughs> well actually I'd put him there, so he Oh he was Well if, if he gets it, let us know. Oh, I'm sure he's <laughs> already gotten it. Oh, okay. Good night. Well, good, good night. night. Good night. Thank <laughs> you.